Today on Ag News Daily. We are actually the ones making decisions on a day-to-day basis on the farm operation for fertilizer, the seed, the chemicals, uh, the crop rotation, the grain marketing. We do all the budgeting for the owners. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Wednesday on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I'm excited to um, talk some news today because I have a little bit of interesting news, some wacky news, I guess, to share with you today. Okay, hit me, Ashton. I'm ready for it. So I won't dive into the full story because it's just an article talking about um, wild pigs and how they're kind of a nuisance, of course, here in the U.S. But there was a student who uh, actually killed a wild pig doing some research. I can't remember, you know, what school it was for, anything like that. But they were dissecting this wild boar and they found 53 toads in its stomach. Toads, as in ribbit, ribbit, toad. Yes, I didn't even know mm. that pigs. I mean, I mean they are wild pigs, and I guess I don't, you know, raise wild pigs or anything. But I just thought it was a little bit comedic. I didn't know that pigs ate frogs. Can't say I did either, Ashton. I mean, you know, on cartoons they are eating slop and all kinds of weird things, but uh, didn't think that this made the list. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a different one. Well, Delaney, other than this, what uh, kind of things have you been reading about today? Well, Ashton, to be real honest with you, I've been tied up in meetings most of the day, so I haven't been paying as close attention today to the newswire, but there's definitely still a few stories that have hit my front radar, one of which being weather. I feel like we're going to talk about it every day here for the next two months as we head into planting season, but... Um, I actually just signed up for Eric Snodgrass's, I believe it's a daily weather intelligence report. So I definitely recommend signing up for it. I believe you can do that right on the Nutrien website. But each day he sends out maps and whatnot that kind of look at a seven to 10 day forecast and some shorter and longer term forecasts as well. But starting on March 8th, he said that we are going to see both the polar and subtropical jet streams and the split flow in target California through the mid Atlantic. So basically what he's saying here is we're going to see above average rain and snowfall for California into the intermountain West and into the Colorado areas as well that head up towards the upper plains and upper Midwest. So he said to expect severe thunderstorms for those folks living in the Southern Plains into the Mid-South and Midwest, very likely, as well as some potential snowfall here for the Dakotas and upper Midwest areas here within the next week or so, Ashton. I'm hoping we don't get hit with any more snow. I'm not going to lie. Well, Delaney, we're sunny and 77 here in Lubbock. I just checked my weather app, but I got to say, I'm not really excited for the spring. It's not my favorite season, especially here in the high plains. We experience a lot of hail during the spring, which is never a fun thing to deal with when, you know, you drive a car, especially, you know, not a fun thing to deal with when uh, you have crops involved. So got to say, not my favorite time of year that we're entering into. No, we're in a little bit of a weird year, weird time of year right now with the change in the season, that's for sure. I know my sinuses can definitely feel that, Delaney, but 
Moving on here, Commodity Classic is in full swing this week. I believe they kicked things off yesterday on the 2nd, and I think it goes through the 5th, which would be Friday. I can't remember those dates for sure, but either way, there's been a lot of discussion coming from the event. Ag experts are specifically looking at carbon as a, quote, double crop for farmers, which was a discussion earlier today at Commodity Classic. Demand for carbon credits, of course, is continuing to grow as more Fortune 500 companies are making carbon reduction pledges. But farmers were sequestering carbon long before the hype of carbon markets. And Jim Hedges with Winfield United says that creates a unique opportunity. But along with those opportunities comes a lot of risks. And he says that this is where farmers need to be doing their homework. Hedges was quoted as saying, being able to farm profitably and then bring a revenue stream like carbon in, that should be the ultimate goal. To do that, I think you need to understand the science and data driving the recommendations, both on the productivity side, growing the crop, as well as harvesting carbon and reducing greenhouse gas. He says there are many unanswered questions as the rule books are still being written and a lot left to learn. So it's important for farmers to have a trusted advisor for carbon markets. Well, Ashton, I'm actually glad that you mentioned carbon markets because we forgot to mention off the top of today's podcast, but today's podcast, we're actually, we've got an ongoing sponsor here for the next few weeks is another fellow ag podcast. And that's the Fieldwork podcast. You will likely recognize some of the hosts from that podcast. That's Mitchell Hora and Zach Johnson. And they talk a lot about sustainability and ag. I know they've got a couple podcasts planned this season, Ashton, to talk about carbon credits, the new marketplace there, and how to sustain that into our crop production and uh, that cycle. So it's not really news, but folks, be sure you're checking out that new Fieldwork podcast season. I believe it drops officially today, Ashton. Is that right? Yes, today is the first episode of their third season. Well, that is certainly exciting. Congrats to them. We certainly look forward to working with them here for the next month or so. Absolutely, Delaney. And another piece of news that I have today, not talking about carbon credits, but again, talking about a discussion at Commodity Classic. We have been talking about infrastructure on the podcast for quite some time now. I think 2020 kind of kicked off, um, you know, a little bit of an up, not an uproar, I was going to say an uproar, but just kind of kicked off that conversation a little bit more in depth than it already has been. But key infrastructure investments are being highlighted during Commodity Classic, including the five foot dredging of the lower Mississippi River that began back in July of 2020. Missouri farmer Megan Kaiser says that she is excited for the opportunities that the project will bring for farmers, especially soybean growers. Kaiser was quoted as saying, this is projected to be almost $461 million in annual realized value to U.S. soy. It will provide for an extra 500,000 bushels to be loaded onto these ocean liners, taking our crop to the world marketplace. As treasurer of the United Soybean Board, Kaiser also says that this is an example of how checkoffs form partnerships with other ag organizations and groups like the Army Corps of Engineers to increase profitability for farmers. She says that infrastructure improvements take a lot of time to implement, but they are vital to keep up with U.S. export demand. And like I said, we've been talking about infrastructure a little bit, but this project or projects like this isn't even, you know, what I 
was considering for infrastructure improvements. So it just goes to show really how vast the agriculture industry is and how we can constantly be adapting and, you know, putting use to projects for the advantage of farmers. Absolutely, Ashton. It's certainly an exciting time in agriculture. We've got raising commodity prices. We've got uh, all that stuff going on on the sustainability front. But one thing farmers are not so excited, I think, about is the potential of meatless meat or uh, cultured meat to impact our meat supply. Purdue and CME Group put out a recent survey that said they, that surveyed farmers that said that farmers expect to see meatless meats to command about a tenth of the total protein market here in about five years. I think that's a little aggressive. Personally, from what I've read and folks we've talked to here in the podcast, I think maybe by 2040, 2050, we see it be, you know, a tenth to maybe a 20th or a, excuse me, 20% of the market. But I think a tenth in a couple of just five years, I think that's a little aggressive, but farmers are definitely a little concerned. And I think, as I mentioned yesterday, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It helps grain farmers because obviously a lot of the plant-based uh, proteins are made of soybeans, chickpeas, all those other farm products, but it's definitely a competitive uh, product against U.S. protein. So it's definitely going to be an ongoing issue. If that's what you want to call it, an ongoing concern, I suppose, for the markets. But I don't think it's going to be that big of a marketplace in five years. But I could be wrong. You know, Delaney, I went to the grocery store the other day. We just got a new grocery store in town that's typically for like South Texas is where they typically are. It's called HEB, but we have one here in Lubbock. It's pretty new and it's really large. Their meat section is incredible. I feel like I haven't really seen anything like it before. It's really nothing in comparison to Walmart or any other similar store. But uh, I was looking at their meat section and they had quite a large section of meat alternatives, which I was really surprised on because I feel like in Walmart, I typically see like three meat alternative products. So I, I think it is a growing market and I think there is definitely growing demand. But like you said, don't know if it's going to be that large in the next five years. No, I, I agree. That's kind of where I'm at with this all, Ashton. But speaking of markets, I've got one little story here to lead into the markets, Ashton, unless you have any other news for today. I do. And it's just one small one that I kind of want to bring to the attention of some of our cattle raisers out there. And we talk a little bit more in depth tomorrow with NCBA about this. But a Senate bill was introduced earlier this week that might require some cash sales on cattle. Earlier this week, a bill was introduced um, to ensure fair prices for cattle producers. And the USDA would require meat packers to buy a specified number of cattle on the spot market and through negotiated grid trades under this bill. The bill is similar to legislation filed in September of 2020, which was backed by the American Farm Bureau Federation and the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And that bill was filed by Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher and again filed this bill earlier this week. And Fisher was quoted as saying that the bill will help facilitate price discovery and provide cattle producers with the information they need to make informed marketing decisions. 
Ron Winden of Oregon is a co-sponsor of this bill, and he said that the detailed and common sense bill would provide producers the transparency and accountability they need to negotiate fair prices, stay in business, and continue to generate jobs. The bill will mandate that packers buy a minimum number of cattle varying by each sales region of the country on the cash market and to report daily the number of cattle that each of them had scheduled for slaughter in the next 14 days. It also would create a library of contracts so producers would know provisions that are available in the market and that might benefit them in negotiating a sale. And again, we're talking more about this tomorrow with NCBA's VP of Government Affairs, Ethan Lane. So folks, be sure to subscribe to the Ag News Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on some more information about what's going on in the cattle industry. Fantastic, Ashton. Well, I've got just one other piece of news here as we head into the markets to talk about the pork industry. According to Kofco, uh, which is one of China's largest groups, their analyst firms there, pork prices are expected to remain relatively high throughout 2021 as we continue to see new strains of African swine fever uh, slowly but surely they're rebuilding, but at a, at a much slower pace, I think, than what China folks were originally suggesting, but inventories of piglets and breeding sows shrank for the third straight month in February in the nation of China, according to a recent online conference. And that trend has been continuing. We've seen that the the shrinking there of a breeding stock for the past three months, really in China. So I think now we've got some evidence to back up the fact that eh, maybe perhaps June is a little ambitious for them, but uh, we're definitely going to continue to see strong domestic and global demand for the pork industry. So if you're a pork producer, you should be counting your lucky stars right now. Not really, but it, it does sound like there is some good news ahead for our protein producing friends. Unfortunately, though, Ashton, not such good news today as we look at today's closing market prices for our grain producing friends. What do you say we chat markets? Let's do it, Delaney. All right. Well, kicking things off here in the March corn contract, we really saw a sell off again today. Market just can't quite find their footing here. And I expect we'll see some of that shore up ahead of next week's WASDE report, but time will tell. March corn contract today down 10 and a half cents to close at 5.50 and a quarter. The May down nine and three quarters cents to close at 5.35 and a quarter. In the March soybean contract today down three and a quarter cent to close at 14.10. The May down five cents to close at 14.07. In Chicago wheat today, the March contract shed 11 and a quarter cents to close at 6.52. The May down 10 and a quarter to close at 6.56 flat. And in livestock today, mixed trade in the live cattle complex as the April live cattle contract shed two cents, the June down seven cents, schools at 117.67 and a half, and the August up 10 cents, schools at 116.90. Now in Feeder cattle today, the March contract up 47 and a half cents, schools at 137. The April up 82 and a half, schools at 141.30. And in lean hogs, the April contract up two dollars fifty-seven and a half cents to close at eighty-seven ninety-two. The May up a dollar forty-two and a half to close at eighty-nine thirty-five. And round our market session with the class three dairy milk futures. March up six cents today to close at sixteen forty. The April up fourteen to close at seventeen ninety-four. Ashton, without further ado, please fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's interview. 
Today, we are talking to Grant Ashinger, talking about farm management. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Grant Ashinger, a partner at Stall Cup Ag Service in Storm Lake, Iowa. Grant, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Well, thank you for having me. So today it's going to be kind of a collection of things that we're going to be discussing, but most of it's going to be about farm management because you are a farm manager. You're a part of the American Society of Farm Ranchers and Rural Appraisers, and there's um, quite a bit going on. And like you said in a previous email when we were talking about setting this up, farm management comes with a lot more responsibilities, and it's a little bit more intense than a lot of people think. So why don't you tell us about you know your experience as a farm manager? Well, I guess it uh, kind of goes back to what do we actually do? And this is a huge common misconception that I get all the time. And I get asked this a lot of what we actually do. Uh, most people think we just negotiate cash rents on the farm and we collect the money. And then the rest of the year, we have nothing else to do. And that'd be pretty boring. And we could do, do a whole lot of that. Uh, what we really are is we're really an asset manager with a very specific asset class that we look after. Um, for most of our clients, the farm is actually the most valuable asset that they own, even even more valuable than their house in a lot of a lot of instances. I guess one of the biggest misconceptions also is, you know, we we most people think we only do cash rent. Uh, the the fact is, in our company, only about fifty percent of our farms that we manage are cash rent, and the other fifty percent are split roughly be, roughly fifty percent are split between custom farming and a version of a modified crop share. Uh, not so much of the 50-50s anymore, but more of an 80-20 custom agreement or 75-25 custom agreement where the owner gets 75 or 80% of the crop and the farmer gets 20 to 25% just for doing for performing the custom work. Um, so we are actually the ones making decisions on a day-to-day basis on the farm operation for fertilizer, the seed, the chemicals. Uh, the crop rotation, the grain marketing, we do all the budgeting for the owners as far as where the money is going to get spent for the year and how much we anticipate to profit on the year. Um, so we do a lot of the things that the farmer would actually do for his own his own operation. We just don't own the equipment or perform the field work. Uh, so we do do pretty much most of the things that they would do as a business part of as as a business person. Um, the main difference is everything that we do is meant to meet the goals and the ben- and for the benefit of our landowner client and not necessarily for ourselves in our in our own farming operations. So um, everything has to be done with the idea that the client's best interest is first first and foremost rather than our own. So Grant, how long have you been a farm manager or just been involved in that realm? Well, when I graduated college, because I grew up in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and and farming just wasn't real prosperous right then. So my parents insisted that me and my brothers all go to college and have options. So I started, after I got out of college, I worked for a retail fertilizer place and, and then exclusively in a seed job after that for a little while. And uh, Shortly after, uh, or af- after a while in the seed business, I got a recall a call from a recruiter, uh, a career recruiter, to 
with a farm management position that was open, he asked me if I was interested and, and this is back in 2013 in the spring. And I told him, yes, I'm obviously very interested, but those jobs just never come available. So I, and even when they do come available, they're not advertised publicly. So it was kind of, kind of a shock to even get a phone call that there was one open. So um, I've been, I've been, Working at Stockup Ag Service as a professional farm manager since the spring of 2013 and uh, became a partner here at Stockup Ag Service in the summer of 2016. So uh, there was a, a portion there where I was an employee here and worked my way in to be, become a partner in the company now. Um, <clears throat> I would say one thing that's, that's, I guess, one of the reasons I, I looked into farm management in the first place, so is is there's just a ton of room for growth and to expand in this business as it sits right now. Uh, I did a little check and just to check my stats and less than 5% of the land in Iowa is under professional management, even though roughly half of it is far is rough the, uh, roughly half of the farmland in Iowa is owned by non-farmers. Um, so that obviously leaves a lot of room for growth for us. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things, I guess I always wanted to work with farmers. I, you know, my parents told me to go to college, get and have options. And I had options and still came back to agriculture. So I guess I just couldn't get away. Well, I don't think I'm going to be able to get away either. I mean, my background has always been in agriculture. My undergrad is in ag communications. I'm getting my graduate degree in ag business. So I guess I can't say I have too many options, but anyways, um, so it sounds like a little bit of a competitive industry with, you know, um, not a lot of these jobs, like you said, becoming available. I don't know if that's changed since you have entered into the industry. But for those that are interested in farm management, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity, especially in Iowa, it sounds like. What are some key components that you think candidates should possess if they're looking to go into a career in farm management? Well, the first thing is one of the requirements for most of the uh, offices that are that are doing farm management and and to become an, an accredited farm manager is you have to go to a four year get a four year degree. Uh, so that's one of the first things, and so you can become an accredited farm manager. And probably the next most important thing is is uh, get into a place where you can meet with meet with people that are actually doing it. See, maybe it's make sure it is for you and see if there's internships available. I know um, I work for a small company. We don't have, a, we don't have enough employees and enough room for, that we do internships, but there are other, some of the larger farm management companies around in the state uh, too, that I can, I don't know if I'll say the name, I want to say the names, but I, I know of two of them that do internship programs for college students. So it's one of those things, if you're, if you're an ag background and not sure what you're going to do and, and maybe interested, that might be a good summer internship for you of something to try. Um, and then I guess the next thing is just get as much, the most broad based education you can possibly get um, from, from the college experience, because it, it, just like farming, there are so much diff, so many different things involved in the farm management business that you have to be. I wouldn't say you have to be an expert on a whole lot of things, but you have to be kind of a you know the the jack of all trades, master of none, if that makes sense. Uh, the list of things that you have to be at least have some knowledge of is, is fairly lengthy. Um, 
mostly a lot of it is stuff that farmers would have to do too. So you farm kids probably have a leg up on most of it, most of the rest of the people. But uh, there's also other things that, that maybe farm kids aren't always thinking about it, you know, as far as business formation, tax codes and, and different uh, types of insurances that you might have to have when you're not an operating land, you know, landowner. Um, and then obviously all the stuff that the farmers do, you know, keeping up on technologies and, and fertility and everything else. So Grant, I'm glad that you mentioned the accredited farm manager designation because you received that back in 2015 from the American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers. So kind of walk us through, I guess, what exactly that designation means and is that something that's kind of required, so to speak, in your area? I wouldn't say it's a requirement, um, except for in there. I know there's a fair amount of the companies that that are in this business that uh, it's a requirement. If you're going to work there, you're eventually going to work towards this accreditation and eventually receive it um, because it's just it's more education. It's it's uh, a higher level of training beyond your college experience. Um, to become an accredited farm manager, it's, I guess I, I wrote down just because I wanted to make sure I had it in front of me. Uh, some of the requirements is there's actually 80 hours of classroom uh, teaching that is taught by peers. It's taught by people that are actually in the farm management business and are accredited uh, just from different parts of the country. So you got 80 hours of classroom work over a, over a four-year period. You don't do it all in two weeks like you'd like to do. Um, there's a two-day oral and written test that goes along with it that you have to pass along with submitting a whole bunch of example work that because you have to be an active farm manager at the time to obviously to uh, get your experience and four years of experience is required along with a four-year college degree or equivalency so it's uh but the idea behind it is if is you get to you get to work with the most qualified people, and that's what a, the ASFMRA is. That's the goal of the of the organization is to get the most qualified and most professional people out there. And so, obviously, continuing education is a big part of it. And that's that's also part of the AFM designation. After you've received it, is you have to continue with your education by attending more more continuing ed classes after that, uh, just to just to keep yourself sharp and make sure you're up to date on the most. Uh, most up-to-date information. So Grant, it sounds like you've done a lot for your career and you've had some great success, so much so that you have been awarded the Early Career Award for 2020 from the Iowa chapter of ASFMRA. So why don't you talk to us a little bit more about that award and what it means to you? Well, I I had to look this up exactly to get the wording right myself. So I, I kind of wrote it down here. Uh, the early career award is given to a farm manager or an appraiser that is in their first 10 years of professional experience that uh, has set an example for the next group of young professionals for by their contributions to the profession, uh, to the Iowa chapter, and uh, to the just to the overall profession as a whole um, and to the organization to the uh, national organization as well. It's humbling to be considered, even be considered for the the award because uh, they we've only only awarded once a year one person and and especially right now in the Iowa chapter, um, 
as we get together for our meetings and you look around the room, there is a lot of gray hair in the room. So, and that's, and actually in the last eight years that I've been doing this, that gray hair is disappearing for people with a lot, with no gray hair. A lot younger is in our Iowa chapter. There's a lot less, a uh, lot less age involved right now because there's a huge exodus from retirement in, in our current organization. So, uh, we've got a good group of young people coming in. So, it's it's a, a pretty big pool to be chosen from. So, it was really, really kind of an honor to be chosen for the as the award winner for this uh, this award this year. Well, Grant, we at Ag News Daily congratulate you for receiving this award. And once again, we just thank you for coming on the podcast to talk about farm management today. Yep. Thank you for having me. Thanks again there to Grant and congratulations to him again for being awarded the Early Career Award. It's pretty exciting um, to, to get that award from what I hear. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats to Grant. And actually, that's very fitting, Ashton, because tomorrow we'll be talking to another young folk in agriculture, young person in agriculture for our next edition of the Agrad 30 under 30. Wait, Ashton, you know what I just realized? Tomorrow is not Friday. Tomorrow is Thursday. But on Friday, we'll be talking to another Agrad 30 under 30 recipient. You know, Delaney, I was just about to to cut you off and fill you in on what day it actually was, but you got yourself, so I'm proud of you. But yes, folks can listen to the Ag News Daily podcast wherever they get their podcasts, but we enjoy listening on our website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.